Hey, Carol, did you see this email? I did. (laughs) Since I have yet to find a way to offer a five-star rating on the podcast app I use, I want to relay my appreciation to you both. I love your podcast. I love your full-bodied content, the reliable format you use each week. Feels like I'm attending my favorite class in high school with two of my favorite teachers. And I love your chemistry. You always give me new inspiration and better gardening info. And you've really prompted me into reading a few really great books. Last fall, I gathered about a dozen local gardeners to study the well-gardened mind. And we had the author as a virtual guest after our discussion brunch. Please never stop podcasting and never stop writing and Instagramming. You are a precious gift to us gardeners. Much love, Marie at the Lazy W. That is so nice. And I'm impressed they got the author to join them all the way from England for their brunch. That is super sweet. It was super sweet. And I so wanted to be a part of that discussion when they did it, but I had to be out of town, so I couldn't do it. But I heard it was very, very worthwhile. Good deal. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Gardenangelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How's the weather? The weather here is fantastic. That's awesome. It's pretty nice here too. Um, Right now it's 73 degrees. We had rain this morning, but we're under a big threat of severe weather tonight. So it must be May. It must be May. It's 68 degrees here. And we're doing a rare Monday afternoon podcast recording. Yes, because you had to go somewhere. And I think you're going to talk about that. I will. But first, I want to give a shout out to the Irvington Garden Club. I spoke to them last week, told them all about the podcast, and I think some of them uh, subscribe right there in the meeting. So that's really cool. So welcome, Irvington Garden Club people. Yes, welcome. And Dee, what's really exciting is I think we might be frost free, but I'm not ready to plant tomatoes and peppers out in the garden. Right. But I would be shocked at this point, looking at the 10-day forecast, I would be shocked. And I'm buying summer annuals like a crazy woman. Mm-hmm. That was me three weeks ago. And I have to say, we've had some really cool nights even since then. No freezes, but it there was one night it got down to 38. And so the coleus didn't like it very much that I put uh-uh. out. But you know what? They survived. They're okay. I pulled off their dead leaves. They'll be all right. Yeah, it goes 44 this morning. So we're still not like summer warm, but we're heading in the right direction. Hallelujah. So tell me what else is going on in your garden. Well, I'll tell you more next week after I process it. But my garden club today, we had a what I call a greenhouse crawl. So we went out to the east side of the city to Greenfield, Indiana, uh, had lunch and then went to a couple of places to buy plants. I'll tell you about that another day after <laughs> process. Yeah, you know what? I mean, for those, you, nobody knows this except for us, but you called me in the middle of the crawl because you wanted to ask my opinion about this plant you found. And yep. I, I said, yes, it is African blue basil that just 
blooms and blooms and blooms and never stops. And so I bought three for five bucks each. That was a deal. And I think you'll like it. I really do. I couldn't find it for a long time. So last year I had a huge plant and I took a lot of cuttings and I now have six plants for my honeybees. That's nice. Mm -hmm. So, but really this past week was all about getting more violas for me because that's the way I roll. Because you're insane about violas. Just that one thing. I know. Yeah. My, yeah. The insanity is just that one thing. So I, I bought more of the uh, Viola E10, which is supposed to perennialize. And I did have a few that have shown up in the garden. So I kind of feel like if I plant them and keep them watered and let them set seed, you know, hope springs eternal, but the greenhouse had them. So I bought a few more. They, they also had some wild, what's called Confederate violets. Right. Growing next to the parking lot by the greenhouse. And I saw those Friday night when I was there with my sister. And so I said to the owner, could I borrow a trowel? I need to dig some violets. So she got me a trowel and I dug up some violets. And then the next day I was at another place looking at plants. They had some wild yellow violets. And I said, hey, can can you dig me up some yellow violets? He says, you know, these will be everywhere. And I'm like, I don't care. I want them. Yeah, I don't care either. Um, In fact, I'm sitting here thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about my little thing of blue violets that's down by my little greenhouse and they're done blooming now, I think. Yeah, I think they're done. But of course, they're spreading everywhere, which is what they do. But I want them to down there because they grow under that tree and they make this lovely carpet of green most of the year. And then they make a lovely carpet of blue when they bloom that like makes people stop in their tracks. And now I have that white violet that you're talking about. I'm sure it's the same one. The white with the bluish center, blue, bluish or bluish purple. Yeah, the, they call it Confederate violets, which is probably not politically correct anymore. But it's Viola. Probably not, but. <laughs> it's Viola Sororia Princiana is the official name. Right. And you sent me a picture of it when you, after you dug them up. And I think those have shown up in my walled border on the side of my house. And I'm like, you know what? They work great as a mulch. <laughs> they're a mulch yeah. in my, in my world, they're a mulch. And you know what? They help a lot of creatures. And I was thinking about Margaret Roach wrote a really, one of her posts a long time ago, you know, time is relative. I, I it could be two years ago, but it seems like it was a while back and she had been bemoaning violets, but then she found out all the, all the creatures they held. Uh-huh. And, then she, loved and then she was like, okay, I can live with them. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking of as you were talking about them, that sometimes there's a good reason that stuff is wild and native. Plus last winter, uh, Select Seeds has some rare violets and they are the Viola odorata. And last December I put, which means they smell good, right? They smell good. They yeah. Smell These good. are from the 1800s and I put on a, let me know when they are available. So I got emails a couple months ago and said they were available. Bye-bye. So those arrived last week. Uh, one of them's called Sweet Rosina. And that's supposed to be rare, but spreads, which is kind of weird. And that's hardy enough for my garden. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to plant that and hope that it spreads. And then the other one is the Duchess de Parm, which is the Parma violets, they think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a... Purple, double flowering, not hardy enough. So it'll be a pot plant. So 
We'll see if I can keep that going. So I got is it was all violets last week. It's crazy. So last week I also got um and I got a shipment from Select Seeds too. And I bought some perfume plants. That's one thing really good about Select Seeds, as they have a lot of plants that have perfume. And so I bought a hardy heliotrope that gets nice and tall. We'll see what happens. Right now it's blooming kind of short. So I don't know if it'll get much taller, but it might. And then, so when um, you say hardy, hang on. When you say hardy, hardy to what zone? You know what? I don't know because I didn't check the tag. I'll be honest. And if it's not hardy here, I don't care. I just want it for scent. I put it right outside my kitchen door when I walk out and I can already smell it. And it's amazing. Then I bought their collection of super sweet smelling sweet peas because I also started sweet peas from seeds and I put them out in the um, cold frames. And some of them did come up, but then this was a special series that are supposed to be very, very um, sweet smelling. And I bought them and I plugged them into and got them ready to go up the trellis. So it's a, oh, and I also bought a variety of, um, I'll think of it in a minute, Nicotiana. That's what it was. It was another Nicotiana that's purple, but scented. And so I spent a little bit of money on those three things because I wanted to have that. Yeah, but isn't it fun to get a box on the porch that says, you know, live plants, keep from heat and cold. And you're like, live plants. Yay. Yes, that's exactly how I feel when I get live plants. I get very, very happy. So what else is going on in your garden? Well, I have pulled some radishes and I'm starting to harden off tomatoes and peppers. And, you know, last month you challenged me to read a book called The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Van Arnen. Arnim. Arnim. Mm-hmm. Arnim. Did you read that book, Dee? I did not get a chance to read it yet because I'm reading that giant tome, Kristen Siragard or whatever it is. That's like super thick. I'll show it to you after we're done. But this is the same lady. The Enchanted April is by the same lady who did Elizabeth in her German garden, right? Didn't we decide that? That is correct. I did this one via audiobook and it is there's a movie made after it and it's it's an interesting story but uh it's read with british accents and it's about four women in great britain who were total strangers and then the four of them in a, ended up renting like this castle in italy to get away for this april and they're both they're all getting away from something and then realizing it's it's just a sweet story that's all i'm going to say it sounds like one of those Tus- under the Tuscan sun, but earlier than that, you know, because I read under the Tuscan yes. sun. Yeah. Years ago. I, I recommend the aud- audio book version. I don't know that it would have kept my attention if I had read it. Right. But I like the audio book. Sometimes audio books are the way to go with certain things. And then you can be cleaning your kitchen and also listening to it or listening to it in the car when you're driving. If you're not listening to this fabulous podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So you you didn't just get some plants from Select Seeds. I'm seeing in the notes that you've been around shopping too. <laughs> I am, but I'm I am out of room. And so um, a friend yeah. asked me. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, she asked me if I would go Denise. seven acres out in the country. You are not out of room, girlfriend. You are not out of room. I only garden an acre and a half of it. Well, other than that, you're not out of room. Giant. Uh, meadow at the top. Okay. So my friend Denise called me and said, Hey, have you been to Bustani yet? I said, no, I haven't. 
and which is Bustani Plant Farm in Stillwater, which is my favorite nursery. And then she said, well, OSU Botanic Garden is having an herb plant sale on Saturday. That was last Saturday. So I went with her to that and we bought some herbs. And then we headed over to Big Creek Nursery, which is also in Stillwater. And I love that. It's a tiny, tiny nursery, but they have really weird things. And so we bought some beautiful things there. And then we went to Bustani Plant Farm. And while I was at Big Creek, I bought a really cool Korean hand hoe that looks like the most brutal weapon. It would, I told my husband it would be like the, the best, like somebody's it's in their head. And that's how you open a mystery because this thing is big and brutal looking. So anyway, I think I have one. I didn't buy very many plants. Um, yeah. I didn't really. And yeah. I did not buy a tomato because I, uh, my tomatoes I'm full. But in fact, I gave two tomatoes away. So <laughs> I made two trips to the greenhouse this past weekend because my sister needed somebody to go and chaperone her shopping. And this time I accidentally bought some plants too. So could be, could be. So we've pretty much hammered out that little section. Do you want to do the next quote? I'm going to do this next quote. There is a cold certainty about January and August is ripe as sweet corn, but May is all growth and flowering from the last of the bloodroot to the first of the daisies and buttercups. May is new as a baby radish, prime as a scallion, sweet as a swamp violet. May is full of birdsong, beeham, flowing brooks. Here it is, and almost gone, and having lived with it again, having felt its pulse and exultation, I know that any year with May in it is a year worth living. That's our friend Hal Borland in his book, This Hill, This Valley, that I read earlier this winter. And I, I know exactly what he was talking about. I do. Yes. Because I've watched everything with such attention this year. Well, I've just been overwhelmed by the beauty of it all. And I said that yesterday on my Instagram because um, we haven't had a late freeze. So I don't have any bad foliage on anything. So it just looks fresh and green and it's almost Mother's Day. So the roses are starting to bloom. Very nice. And we, you know, and the peonies. The peonies, and that is our flower this week, because my peonies yes. are starting to bud up a little bit. It's still a couple of weeks before they flower, and I think they'll actually flower later this year than in previous springs, because we have had such a cold, cold winter spring. Same same thing here. I think the whole most of the United States has had a very long and cool spring. And we did have a really cold winter the last two months of it. It was cold. And um, my peonies are just now butted up and they're getting ready to all pop at once. I did have one of my new, because when you plant a new peony in your garden, um, when it finally does bloom, it blooms earlier than the mainstays. And I think that's because, well, I don't know why that is. It just does. And so I have a new one. that It was its first year to bloom and it bloomed yesterday. This is the most gorgeous thing. It was part of a pink peony collection that came from a place we were going to talk about peonies envy. And um, I just bought this collection. So I don't even know what they are, but I've decided that there are certain plants in my garden that it's important to me to know which varieties I have. Right. But then there are other plants in my garden that for one thing, it's a big garden with a lot of different plants and I won't know everybody. And with the peonies, Unless I just buy one individually, I don't think I care. And I feel that way about the irises too. Yeah. And I, 
my peonies, they're from ones that my dad grew and then some that's a almost a white with a bit of a pink in it. And then I have a real, mm-hmm. real dark pink one that a friend from work gave me years ago. And then one that I bought called that's all white called Shirley Temple. And then my, um, I, I say Ito peony, the, the hybrid. Oh, Ito. Ito. Mm-hmm. Ito, Ito. Intersectional. Bartzella mm-hmm. that's yellow. Mm-hmm. So I bought one three, two, three years ago at Sam's Club of all places because it was cheap. And then that thing didn't bloom for two years and it has flower buds on it. So it is true what they say. They take a little while to get themselves settled. They do. As it were, before they bloom. So I'm pretty excited to see that one. You know, irises are the same way too. If you plant... um a fan of iris, you know, which is one segment of the iris, it has to, pro- it takes time to produce the next fans before it'll bloom. So it can be three years before you'll get blooms from your iris unless you buy a clump. And even then they don't really like to be moved. Peonies don't really love being moved iris and you don't want to plant them too deep because that's the question. I, I get asked two questions about peonies. It'll, it's getting ready to happen because they're getting ready to bloom. First one right. is, why isn't my peony blooming? Well, it's not blooming because you probably planted it too deep. You want those in my climate. I can't speak to Carol's, but in my climate, you want those eyes right at the surface, like of the soil right there, just barely cover them because they have to get cold enough to bloom. And if you have, if it blooms somewhat, but you don't get a lot of blooms in a certain year, it didn't, we didn't have a cold enough winter. And zone seven is about as far as you can do peonies. You might be able to get away with them in 8A. just depends on what kind of winter you're having. Um, But I know that when you get really far down into the south, you can't grow them because they have to have a cold period. They have been working on that. And then the other thing, what else do we get asked about peonies every year? Are the ants needed to open up the flowers? Yes. Are the ants either needed to open the flowers or are they hurting my peony? What's the answer to that? The answer to both is no, they are not hurting your peonies. They are not opening the flowers. They're just getting that sticky, sticky sap stuff and eating it. Right. Because ants are attracted to sugar. And so um, they have a sticky sap and the ants are for that. I mean, they just, they love it and they'll take it with them, but they will not hurt your flowers. But when you bring a peony indoors, you want to rinse it under the water to get some of the ants off of it because sometimes you're bringing ants. Sometimes you want to bring it in kind of when it's still a little bit, but if you bring it in as a fully open flower, it's just going to shatter pretty quickly. But So this brings us to something I want to ask you because Denise asked me this question on Saturday and I know you did this where you, where you forced them open for your niece's wedding. Remember that project of yours? Yes, it works. I know it works, but she said that she heard they had to be at the marshmallow stage where they're slightly soft and I didn't correct is that true yes so you get them at when they're about the marshmallow size and you're just seeing the color of the petals poking through and then you cut them and you know make sure there's no ants on them and then wrap the whole thing in saran I think I wrapped them in saran and then I stuck them in in the back of the refrigerator and then I was able to pull them out in early July and they opened within 24 hours so when my nephew got married, his wife's favorite flower is the peony. My sister was able at the rehearsal dinner, which she hosted, she was able to have peonies as part of the centerpieces, which was a nice touch. 
Yeah, that's really lovely. You can Google the instructions to see how to do it. You can. And so she asked me about it and I said, you know what? I've never done that, but Carol has, and she listens to our podcast. So I thought I'd tell her and then have you tell her. And then the other thing is, is Megan, my daughter, Megan, which is my second daughter. She sent me a picture of my granddaughter sniffing a peony in the garden and the peony, the size of the peony is almost as big as little bit's head, you know? And so I believe it, it was beautiful. And she said, I need more of these. And I thought, oh, a gardener you're becoming. I need, isn't that yes, the indeed. <laughs> And so the best time to dig and divide peonies is in the fall after they've gone dormant somewhat, then you dig and divide them. But I, I've dug like the ones that, that I got that were my dad's, my sister lives where that is. And that was about to be destroyed by a backhoe with a remodel in July. And so she says, you want to save these? And so I ran over there and dug them up and pot them up and save some for everybody. So, you know, in an emergency, you can really dig them anytime. You can. And that's kind of true of irises too. Um, you can go ahead and dig them. There are certain times that are better, but you know, I, a lot, of, if you're careful with stuff, a lot of times you can dig it at different times of the year. If you order peonies instead, like right now they're selling them in all the nurseries in Oklahoma because they're in bloom. So right. you can... You can buy them in bloom now and transplant them. Or if you order them, you'll get them in October here. So you'll get them in the fall. And um, same here. I was also going to say I killed Barzella. I killed it twice. So I can't grow it. Um, I've not had an Ito peony intersectional peony work for me at all. And tree peonies, I managed to keep one alive for about seven years. And then a freeze got it a really harsh one. It was just too much for it here. But the reason people like Ito's is they have a peony flower that looks like a tree peony, which is a beautiful thing, but they grow it up. Is. They grow up like the herbaceous type. But here's what I decided. I'm really good at the herbaceous ones and I'm just sticking with those. That's a great idea. So here's something else about peonies. It's the state flower of Indiana, oddly enough, even though it is a native of China. I didn't know that. We don't want to overcomplicate peonies. This is one of the easiest perennials to to grow. Totally easy. And they'll last, they'll outlast you, the gardener. They'll last a hundred years. Yep. And you know, they have their problems, the botrytis blight. They Good get you. they they get powdery mildew and look a little bit unsightly. But you know, ignore those things. And I say plant them. I think they're one of the great heralds of spring, but if you do plant them, it's going to rain when they're blooming because that's just what it does in Oklahoma. So um, make sure that you have a stand like a peony stand or an upside down lampshade or something to support them. And then those heavy blooms won't fall over and get in the dirt. We were talking about this at Garden Club today that uh, somebody was saying that it's just like the peonies just poof, there they were and they barely got them caged. And I'm like, I don't cage my, I cage the Bartzella. I cage that one mostly to keep track of where it's at, but the others, I don't bother caging. They're, they're old heirlooms. They don't flop that much. So I just let it go. I cage mine. Um, I just, it just goes better. And I really like the cages that have the interlocking squares that they just grow up through. Those work better than the ones you just wrap around them, but I have both. So if we exhausted ourselves on peonies, we should point out that there's another whole episode 
on peonies, tomatoes, and the Chelsea chop. And we're going to link to it in our show notes. We are. And now you're going to do another quote to take us to this next section. Spring petals give way to young grass. In the garden, willow catkins change to singing birds. That's by Kenneth Rexroth. That's lovely, too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about strawberries. How's your patch doing, Dee? I don't really have much of one right now because they, they exhausted the soil in the area I had them in. And as you know, in that area, I am doing uh, sunflowers this year, dwarf sunflowers. And right now I have lettuce and dwarf sunflowers and bok choy in that section. And so um, I'm not going to plant any more until next year, but I do have like three plants that planted themselves and that'll work for when my granddaughter comes over. So my strawberries have not exhausted their bed. And that's good because when we laid out my vegetable garden beds, I ended up with like this one bed that's like a foot wide, which is just perfect for strawberries. Right. So I'm just going to top dress with a little compost every once in a while and tell them not to exhaust the soil, but they're all blooming and they look really pretty healthy overall. So I'm kind of excited. And you have two different kinds, don't you? No, I just have the one. There are two different kinds. There's June bearing and ever bearing. And I think unless you are like a homesteader and you want a whole lot of berries at once, get the ever bearing. That'll kind of even out your strawberry harvest. You'll get a big flush of them in June sometime. And then you'll still get a few berries into July. And I was even picking a few into August. Yeah. Um, June berry, just one big crop. So get ever bearing. And the one I have is called Seaside. Yeah, I had the red flowering ones that were ever bearing last year and the year before, and they did great. Um, I don't need that many of them. I just really pick them and eat them while I'm standing in the garden. So that's that's what they're for for me. (laughs) And my sister bought, she bought some strawberry plants at the greenhouse and she bought two with the pink flowers and two with the white flowers. And she just has one raised bed. And I says, four plants is probably plenty because they'll send out the little daughter plants and root themselves. I said, you were not going to get a lot this year, but next year you'll have plenty. Yeah, you will. And um, there's a lot of rules about strawberries, but we don't follow any of them. No, I don't put straw down to keep them off the mud or anything like that. I also don't net them to keep the birds from eating them and the bunnies. You know, it's kind of a, it's first come first serve in Carol's strawberry patch. Yeah, it is for these two. I mean, the truth is I just, I did all that rural stuff like when I had June bearing ones that were down in the back garden when that was a vegetable garden. And I got really good. Um, I got a good harvest from it, but I don't even like jam. So there's no reason for me to grow that type. I just like to eat them when I'm standing out there and there's always enough for me. There you go. And I'll tell you, there's strawberry farms around here. And I know my niece likes to, her kids love to go strawberry picking and, you know, those, those people know they probably up price the strawberries because they know the kids are eating them as fast as they can pick them. And so sometimes they'll, they'll have a picking day and then they'll say, okay, we're closed for three days because these strawberry plants have to recover. Right. That happens here too. There are two or three straw, they have strawberries, blackberries, not really blueberries, but strawberries and blackberries. And it's the same way here. They're like, um, we got to give things a rest because children love to pick both of those plants. 
Yes. And so I say, if you got a little strip in your garden and you don't know what else to put there on the edge, plant a little strawberry patch. <laughs> so we also have um, another episode where we talked about epimediums, strawberries, and your newest book. And it's from last year. And if anybody wants to know more about Everbearing, Day Neutral, and uh, June Bearing, and all that other stuff, they can go to that link. They can. And so what about strawberry jars? Always the strawberry jars are for sale. Have you ever grown strawberries? They're tall and they have holes along the side, down the sides that, you know, you ever try that? Yeah. Sometimes people grow strawberries in them and sometimes they grow yeah. hen and chicks. I've seen them do that too. Um, I'll be honest. Yes. When I was a brand new gardener, I did, but the way those come up, if you tried to water them, all the soil tended to fall out. So <laughs> It didn't work so well for me, and I just gave that up. How, how did it work for you? I never tried it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's one of those things. It seems like a pretty good idea, but then I'm like, eh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the holes are too small for the roots of the strawberry, and honestly, it just they dry it out because usually they're made of terracotta. If you could find a glazed one, it might work, but you know what? That's just too much trouble, and I don't do stuff that's too much trouble. That is correct. One last thing I'll say about strawberries is narrower beds are better because they tend to fruit on the outside of the bed. Plant. Border. Yeah. Plant. For some reason. Yes. Yeah. How does the strawberry know to do that? I I think that's because that's where the light is. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that makes sense. So they would do it on the outside of the edge. Yeah. I thought about that. They, They tend to fruit more on the edge. All right, I'm going to do the next quote. Take us into our bookshelf. Lilacs bloomed in front of gardens. Its scent was strong in the sunshine. The very smell of happiness. And that's by Dorothy Evelyn Smith in a book called Oh, Brave the Music that was published in 1951 that I read last week. I thought, oh, that's a nice quote. I've just butchered it, but it's a nice quote. Yeah, if they want to read it somewhere, they can look it up. So on the bookshelf this week, we're going to talk about Black Flora, Profiles of Inspiring Black Flower Farmers and Florists by Teresa J. Spite. And it was hard for me to say Teresa because we know her as Terry. And and we were also going to discuss other books from the Bloom Imprint. That's her publisher. So you said, tis the season with Mother's Day and spring, early summer weddings to think about floral arrangements. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought I went back and read it over the weekend and I thought it was really interesting because she interviewed 22 different black flower farmers and florists and two of them even live in Oklahoma and they're known as the wild mother and they're in Oklahoma city and they're owned by sisters, Laura Palmer and Leah Palmer. And they call themselves, I hope I get this right, Afro indigenous. So I think they're African, you know, I think like African-American they also have uh, native from Native American tribes. And they're because they made a big emphasis on where their um, shop is. And that shop is located in an area on land that was once owned by four different Indian tribes in Oklahoma. So that's cool. It was cool. And they also organized this, this group, this flower farmer, these two flower farmers. I think actually they're florists. They organized a deal where they sent flowers to Tulsa 
to the Greenwood area when they were doing the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race riots. And they were the ones who organized that as a hashtag and then also sent flowers. And they ended up making this beautiful arrangement that I think is what is in the book as part of their pages. One thing I'm going to say about the book, their story, the one I just talked about, is a very complicated story, that particular one. Not all of them are. and um, But the photographs of every one of these profiles, they're just scrumptious. And I tried to figure out who the photographer was. You and I both did. And maybe we should have contacted Terry. We're not quite sure how the photography was done, but it is beautiful. And I loved that they showed the people behind the flowers. Yeah, that's the great thing. And and, uh, Bloom Imprint has another book that was published last year called Where We Bloom by Deborah Princing. And I have a physical copy of that book. And there's a different photographer for every person profiled. These are people that have their florists or their flower farmers. And, you know, they've just created a wonderful space around flowers. And so I would guess that in Black Flora, there's a different photographer for every profile. That would be my guess. I think there I think there are two because these um, same thing with the one that you read where we bloom. They're all over the United States. Yes. And so there's, it would have been very expensive to fly one person around to get these, but you could hire local photographers to take the pictures. Yes. That's going to be my guess. And the reason we know Terry is she's a blogger, but, and I met her through her blog. She says I'm one of the first per- people that came and commented on her blog years ago. Really? It's called Cottage. Yeah. She tells, she told me that. And I was like, Really, I didn't know that, but that's, I mean, it must have been really early and it's Cottage and Court is her blog and I love her blog, but she, but I didn't realize how many things Terry does in her community. She does a lot. But I copied it. She does a lot. And she also helped write another book, which we already profiled this year. Terry is the urban gardening chair and liaison to the National Butterfly Garden in the U.S. Botanic Garden for National Garden Clubs, Inc., She's also the founder and president of, I hope I get this right, Jabalai Amani Garden Collective, a garden club for African-American women in gardening and growing a stronger community. And it's the first ever online federated garden club. And then she has a blog and a podcast, both called Cottage and Court. And she just, she's really good. And she's also a garden coach like me. And she specializes in earth-friendly practices. I think most garden coaches do. So I thought this was really, um, I, I didn't know all those things about Terry. Yeah, we'll put links to her blog. And from there, I'm sure it'll take you to her podcast and all those things. So that is a wonderful new book that is just out. And that is Black Flora, Profiles of Inspiring Black Flower Farmers and Florists by Teresa J. Spite. Well done, Terry. Yes, Terry. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. You ready for the next quote? I am ready for the next quote. This one's long, so everybody buckle their seatbelts. Where I Might Find Her, written from Mom. Overnight, it seems, the pink vaults of the peonies open. In an iridescent second, a hummingbird twirls inches from my face. Pennies spot the sidewalk. So bright, I believe they would smile if they could. And if kindness were air, the rooms of my house expand with it. Breathing deeply is simple and hope is the natural choice. And I don't know who's this, who this is from. When we copied it, I guess that got cut off. I meant to look up who the 
because I copied this. You sent me a text with it, and then I found it and I copied it, and then I thought, oh, I need to get the author on there. But you'll find the author, and we'll figure it out somehow. But it's a beautiful poem, and we thought very fitting for Mother's Day weekend when many of us, our mothers, are no longer alive, and so it's bittersweet. But we look for those signs, and I I met somebody who wrote a book called Angel Bumps which is, you know, the pennies on the sidewalk mm-hmm. and different things that people see as signs from heaven that, you know, mom is looking down on you. And I love that. Please with what you're doing. Well, you hope so. <laughs> you hope so. Anyway, I thought it was just beautiful and I don't even know where I found it. So we'll try to find out who it was. So you're going to tell about our dirt, which I thought was really interesting. So the dirt is back in the day. There was a chain of garden centers called Frank's Nursery and Crafts, and I was shocked you'd never heard of it. There were 320 stores, and this they were headquartered out of Detroit. But in 2004, they went uh, belly up with financial difficulties. But I just saw they're back online with an online store where they ship plants directly from growers to people using the Frank's Nursery and Crafts. And it's the son of the former CEO says there's still value in the Frank's name. So I just thought it was interesting because if you live, I think, east of the Mississippi, you surely knew where there was a Frank's Nursery and Crafts. And these, this place was bustling in the spring and, and at Christmas time. And the funny thing was this weekend on Sunday, I ran into this woman that I recognized used to be the store manager at the local Frank's. And I, I said, did you used to manage Frank's? And she said, yeah. And I said, they're back online. And she was really kind of surprised. But so that's the news. We'll put a link. I don't know anything about their products. Um, I kind of think they're acting as a middleman where it says they ship direct from grower. So -hmm. you can pick your state and they've probably made some alliances with different growers that if you order something, they'll send it. I haven't explored it more than to say, hey, Frank's is back, at least online. Well, I think it's pretty cool. I I mean, I went and looked it up, looked up a couple of things, and it looks to me like they are aligned with proven proven winners, among other things. But, you know, proven winners uses several companies to grow their plan. That's right. So I think that's cool. I've just never heard of Frank's. I I wanted to say maybe it was a northern place. I don't know. No, and I... I (laughs) I probably insulted the woman a little bit because when I got out of college, I had a job offer from Frank's uh-huh. and it made my stomach hurt because they said, you know, you get four weeks of vacation, which, you know, starting out a job, that's pretty good. They said, we well, have to take it all in February because, you know, it's busy the rest of the time. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how four does everybody in, in the store take vacation in February? Anyway, yeah, the whole I, place. I decided that, you know, I wasn't I wasn't probably going to get a retail job. So I was kind of glad. But I think I insulted her a little bit because she worked there for 13 years, she said. <laughs> well, you know what? I just let that go. If she got insulted, that's her problem. She, I, I, I thought later. I mean, I don't know. I think it's fine. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I'll do the next quote. Had I but four square feet of ground at my disposal, I would plant a peony in the center and proceed to worship. And that's by Alice Harding. I like your theme this week of of most of the quotes. Um, I, yeah, when peonies bloom, there's just nothing like them. That is nothing like them. I will probably worship at Barzella if she blooms those beautiful yellow blooms. I'll be out there. 
Yeah, they're almost the coppery yellow. They're really pretty. So I'm going to go first yeah. since you talked about Frank's. Okay. And mine's short and not very deep. So this is our uh, rabbit holes. Mine's a very shallow rabbit hole. I have become fascinated by the Ranch to Table television show um, that's on the Magnolia Network. And it's part cooking show, part ranch life. And the woman who's in it, her name is Elizabeth Poet, and it's spelled P-O-E-T-T. And she and her husband own Rancho San Julian in Central Coastal, California. And by Central Coastal, like you can just go a couple of mountains over and the coast is right there. Really? They went one time and went fishing. Yeah. Her great, 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 great grandfather came to California in the early 1800s. And he was gifted, I think he was gifted this land by Spain. That's my guess. Um, and so it's fascinating. Um, there's two seasons, and she spent so everyone every season has a recipe that is often done, like sometimes there's a sweet, sometimes it's savory, and it, but it's based on a theme for that particular show. So in between making tomato soup, for example, which she actually made from her own tomatoes out of her garden in August, because that's when the rains come back. She um, put it in the oven to cook along with a whole head of garlic. And then she went out and she brought the sheep in or she'll go fix fence or she'll go <laughs> as one get does. eggs from the chickens as one does. If you own a ranch or she and her husband went fishing one time. Anyway, I just like it. She seems like a really nice person. I actually took a picture of it and put it on my Instagram story. And then she repeated it on hers. Very nice of her or her person did, but she just seems like an ordinary cool person. And she and her husband love each other. They have two little boys and you can stay at her ranch or have, um, you may not be able to stay, but people have celebrations there. Cool. She has a great big table. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And one episode we met her best friend who, um, does the big vegetable garden with her and they have adjoining ranches and they've been friends since they were, yeah. And they've been friends since they were children because you know, you live out in the country. So anyway, I thought, well, if Carol and I lived next to each other, we would garden together. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Of course we would. So So that's mine, my rabbit hole. This is why I said, let's talk about peonies because I went down another lost ladies of garden writing and found Mrs. Edward Harding, Alice, who I got that quote from. And this woman wrote two books on peonies. One of them is called Peonies in the Little Garden. That's the one I have from 1923. And the other one Mm -hmm. is called The Book of the Peony from 1917. And Mm. in 1993, Timber Press actually put both books together and reprinted it as one book called The Peony. So that isn't that, you know, that's what, is that 20 years? No, is that 30 years ago? I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's 30 years ago almost. It's 29 years ago. Well, let's suffice <laughs> it to say that Alice's information was current enough, even then, that Timber Press right. thought they should put it into a book. Many used good copies available. So I had a little bit of trouble finding the information about Alice until I landed on an article on the Historic Iris Preservation Society website. And then I'm like, Historic Iris Preservation Society, it exists? So Exactly. I, I looked very surprised when you said that. I was like, what? 
So there's a society that is all about historic irises. And Alice, in addition to being a huge peony expert, and there is a there is a peony, it's all white, called Alice Harding. Um, uh-huh. She lived at a place called Burnley Farm in New Jersey. And so I did a search to see if that farm still exists. Uh-huh. And I found this, you would like this, go to Burnley Farm Apiary in Virginia. It's all about the bees. It has nothing to do with Alice. So there was, a, you know, it's like this rabbit hole, like, well, should we go the direction of historic irises or should we go over here to this bee farm? Or I was reading in her book and this was kind of sweet. She talked about um, she toured France after World War One. I. I mean, the place is demolished, right? Mm. Yeah, it was terrible. And she talks about coming upon like you know, scenes of desolation and, and um, they stopped somewhere in a broken down wall to eat their lunch. And she was on some tour with a bunch of men and this little peasant couple came out and, you know, she spied like two plants living in the garden and they were both peonies mm-hmm. and the peasant woman, I think I'm, I, I might be elaborating too much on the story, but gave her a start of that peony. And then, you know, this couple had nothing. Everything was demolished. So she made all the men, she said, she rounded up like almost all their tobacco rations and gave them to this couple and just gave them all kinds of extra supplies and stuff. And I thought that was a really sweet story. So anyway, that was my rabbit hole. That's a great story. Alice is quite the person. She is amazing. Amazing. And I didn't think I'd find anything. So we'll link to this article on the Historic Irish Preservation Society, they did a good job. They went down all the little rabbit holes because I couldn't find anything on her. So, oh, she also hybridized irises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was a charter member of the American Irish Society. You know who I bet has, bet I, you know who I bet knew about the Historic Irish Preservation Society? You won't guess. I'll just tell you. Kelly Norris. Well, Kelly would. Yeah, I didn't think of Kelly, but of course he would. But I was thinking about our friend Marianne Newcomer because she loves historic irises and collected a whole bunch of them that were brought to Idaho. And so I'm sure because they have a gallery and they identify a bunch of them, so which they're kind of my favorite too. I like historic irises and I know that's not fashionable, but I don't care. We're, we're, no one's looking to either one of us for fashion D. No, no, no one. No. <laughs> what are you doing in your garden this week? I don't know. Let's look. In, I was busy over at the Historic Irish Preservation Gallery. Um, let's see. What am I doing? What did I write down? Okay. I still have one little section of the garden to clean up. Um, isn't there always one section that just needs help? Yep. I hope to do that this week. I also have two garden coaching clients this week to see that popped up and I'm excited about that. And then I will also thin the cut flower seedlings in the cut flower beds because they're all up. Hallelujah. And uh, then I will mulch those. Once I, once the seedlings get beyond the cotyledon stage, I will mulch them to, you know, cut down on weeds and stuff like that. And then we've mulched the rest of the garden except that one spot I need to fix and also one shade garden. I have six shrubs to plant because, okay. So in the, in the shade <laughs> garden, it's over by the little, I know it's over by the little greenhouse. Um, I'll have to tell you why I bought six shrubs someday. Not today. It's too, this is probably too long anyway. So I have Bobo, which I hate the name Bobo for the hydrangea Bobo. 
but I bought it because I had to get plants in there that year because I was doing a big tour. And I thought I would like Bobo the plant, even though I thought the name was stupid. Well, I hate those irises and not irises, those hydrangeas. I hate them. They don't bloom that well. They, they don't come back very fast in the spring. They just have issues. So I am replacing them with lava lamp. Okay. The funny thing is I have Bobo. It's out front here. And I don't think it's like the fact that the bird feeding station is around it. So those Bobos are those bobos are going bye-bye to another part of the garden somewhere because they're, they're a disgrace out front. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry about Bobo. I am not sorry about Bobo. I hate Bobo and it's going to the compost pile. That's just my review of Bobo. Who names a plant? Bobo, Bobo go bye-bye. Bobo's going bye-bye. All right. So that's all I've got. What about you? Well, I thought since it's May and the weather's nice, I'd set up a chair in the garden, kick my feet back and, Sit there and read some books and drink some iced tea. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds like BS. That's what that sounds like. You got work to do. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm hardening off tomatoes and peppers. I got some perennials I need to plant out. I am going to the greenhouse like every other day and buying plants and bringing them in. And mm-hmm. um, it's. I, I don't want to pull out my pansies and violas yet, but I'm going to have to start judiciously pulling a few of them out because the annuals are going to want to get planted in those containers. So mm-hmm. anyway, it is it is starting to be go time in my garden too. So I'll be busy. Yeah, you will be. <laughs> anyway, we'd like to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. But if you can't, send us an email. It makes us happy. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Better yet, send them the email about how much you love us. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes and for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.